You are such a geek. <laughs> Way to go, Egghead. <laughs> what is a geek? Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Spearsy. And Chuck Coverley. And today we talk about a new TV documentary that you're just going to love. It's called 1982, Greatest Geek Year Ever. And it debuts on July 8th on The CW. So today, it's our interview with the show's writer and producer, Mark A. Altman. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most... Human... This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by The 80s Cruise. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV BJ's Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024 for a week-long trip aboard the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Bach, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Animotion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, Tommy Two-Tone, and more. Hey, did you know we have a promo? Use the code STUCK, that's S-T-U-C-K, when booking to get $200 of cabin credit. You must be a first-time 80s cruiser to use the code, and you got to use it when booking. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. Do it soon. The ship is already 98% sold out. You believe that 98 percent already percent with, with, with what, nine even, months to go yeah nine months to go jeez must be popular sounds like a <laughs> fun cruise and they have the videos <laughs> that video highlights have been on youtube lately i mean you know what i those. finally made it into one actually i made it in twice in this <laughs> one you know it's it's year seven and i finally got in there rooney's in there and uh the prom king is is in there dancing with his queen Oh, that's right. That's right. You were prom queen this year. Yeah. You were prom yeah, queen this year. prom queen. <laughs> Man, my, my brain is fried. The uh, seven years of, of cruise highlights, and I have never been in them. So, but, no, is uh, that true? Yeah. They, they haven't shown anything from trivia whatsoever. No, tri- trivia is not really a, you know. It doesn't count. It's not a visual. <laughs> well, you know what? They they always show the, the artists that are the guests yes. on trivia sitting on the stool. You know, right. on the hot seat, so to speak. Yes, that's that's. I love that. To be honest, I mean, that's the part that I look forward to the most is being able to, to you know, meet them one on one before before trivia, and then, you know, ask them a couple of questions, and then get them on the stool, and then really try to have some fun and just, you know, ask questions about their career and stuff like that. I, this last year with Howard Jones was just that was fun. Yeah. Talking about his Italian shoes. 
Yeah, and then and then the crowd serenading him. Oh know, yeah, for uh, uh, everlasting love. So wow, it was just I, I get I get the chills. I have a photo of that. In fact, I think it's the photo you took. Yeah, I have you it know, on my thinking, wall. Thinking about that, not particularly that one, but the Midge year. Like I didn't know much about Midge other than the the obvious stuff with the um uh, the Do They Know It's Christmas. Yeah, uh, but he was he was fun. Oh gosh, I had interviewed him twice previously, so so I sort of knew that he was he was a he was a really easygoing guy and really um uh, very humble and and just but you know also has he remembers things and he has opinions and he, he has a wicked sense of humor. Oh yeah, you know and it's funny <laughs> you know, the history that surrounds him and and during that whole thing I was sitting on the ground like two feet from him for most of that interview. I'm sitting here like that close to greatness and that's the eighties cruise, you know, stuff like that, that you wouldn't have happen in real life. That that is pretty amazing. It's funny. You know, I've never, I don't think I've ever, I've ever gone to a trivia session other than the ones I've hosted. I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, I've never, I I don't go to trivia night at bars or anything or. We went on a cruise. Uh, man, when did we go on that cruise? We went on, we went on a cruise to Bermuda the first time we tried, uh, that we were only there for five hours because of weather, they wouldn't dock, but they had an eighties cruise, eighties, uh, uh, trivia session where they were showing, oh, they just did it this recent one too. They had eighties movies, but they would black out the title on the movie poster and you had to guess what movie it was. You, I hope you crushed it. Oh, we crushed it. Yeah, we know we crushed it. It was obvious. <laughs> But it was uh, that was a fun one. It's fun when they have the you know normal people do '80s trivia, you know, and it's like so simple. You're like, oh my gosh, when's it get harder? And then I think back to the first cruise when they almost threw you off the boat. You know who would crush? By the way, at '80s trivia, Mark A. Altman. Yeah, he would. Before before our chat even began, I know he and I talked a little bit about the '80s cruise and stuff like that, and, and I told him that I did the trivia, and I could tell that he was just like, "Oh, really?" Like you know, throw me a couple of fastballs. And I- you didn't ask him about the America's Cup, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I hope. should have lead with that one. You should have led with that one. <laughs> I don't even remember what the answer to that one was. <laughs> Nobody the, uh, did. God, I I feel so bad about that. Uh, anyway, look, this is how this whole thing happened. So. About a month ago, I had heard that there was this new documentary coming out. I saw it on social media called 1982, The Greatest Geek Year Ever. And I think somebody from our Patreon group messaged me too. So like a couple of the buzz was starting to form. So I'm Googling it. I'm looking at YouTube at the trailer. I'm like, oh my God, this thing looks incredible. So I, I try to find out, I, I got to talk to who, who's doing this. I, I need to see if I can't get this person on the show. And so I you know, start Googling and I find out it's Mark A. Altman. Now, if you ever saw the movie Free Enterprise, it's basically a story of a couple of sci-fi fans who meet their all-time idol, William Shatner, in person and find out he's a little nutty but lovable, and they work with him on a project. It honors all the big-time sci-fi classics. Like, There's little references to Logan's run in there. There's there's references to all the, the Trek series, uh, the, the Trek movies. So there's that. And then I start digging a little deeper, and I realize Mark's written – the definitive books on Star Trek, uh, Battlestar Galactica, James Bond, even Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, he was a co-producer on the first season of the TV show Castle, which uh, sci-fi fans probably love because it has Nathan Fillion in it. Oh, yeah. From, Fi- from Firefly. Uh, he was the writer and co-producer of the movie Necessary Roughness, 
uh, that college football movie from the early 90s, which, which I love. He was the editor-in-chief of Sci-Fi Universe magazine. Uh, he's the co-host of the podcast Inglorious Trexperts, which is a great name, by the way. He's probably more qualified to host this podcast than I am. So let's be honest, okay? <laughs> so I reached out to him on social, and he was like, yeah, sure, I'll talk. I'll come in and talk about them, about the greatest geek year ever. And I was like, holy crap. Well, he should feel honored to be on the Stuck in the 80s podcast. No, I, I, I'm honored to have him, man. That was just, I, I was like flying around the house, you know, on happy pills <laughs> after that. Because I was just like, holy shit. I, there's so, I mean, I need like three hours to talk to him, but I'm, I'm going to get, you know, about 40 minutes and and we pack it in there. All right. Yeah. I, I, just, I wanted to talk about Free Enterprise. I forgot about that movie. I had seen it. It's been out, it, 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 what, 1999? Yes is when it came out. So I remember seeing it back in the day uh, and then putting it all together. When I heard him mention that, I said, ah, I know what that is. And, you know, I, I haven't gone back to watch it since then, but I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it within the last 15 years or so. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I have to go back and, and do a rewatch. You can, uh, you can go on YouTube and see the making of free enterprise. It has Shatner in it, basically telling him how he got approached by these guys to do with this story idea. And if you get him on for a second time, I'm definitely going to watch this and and uh, maybe throw some questions that you can ask him in the next interview. In the meantime, we have 1982, the greatest geek year ever. And if you don't know what this is about, if you haven't heard about it yet, it's going to be a four part documentary that's going to be on this the CW network. And basically, it has it's basically honoring the films of 1982. So you've got uh, E.T., Blade Runner, Star Trek II, Poltergeist, Tron, Megaforce. The list goes on and on and on. And this documentary takes a look at that year and it interviews some of the stars, some of the directors, uh, other pop culture historians, and they they share their thoughts about it. There's some a lot of behind-the-scenes footage, I'm told. And it's just going to be one of those things that I'm just going to drink in like a cold beer. Because it's just going to be just going to keep good. pulling pulling that trigger of the nostalgia yeah gun in your in your heart. This is I know going to just be like a, a firecracker that's just going to you know really trigger some memories. So I can't wait to see it. But in the meantime, sit back and enjoy uh, my interview with the great Mark A. Altman. Mark, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Thanks, Steve. I, I'm stuck in the 80s, so it's only appropriate that I'm on. You finally came to your podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm well, trying I, to get out. I, I want to stay in. I <laughs> the uh, I checked. We're, like, we're only about a year apart in age. So, yeah, we probably we both grew up with that being like that sweet spot of our you know formative years. So sweet. So sweet. And I mean, I know so many people are so jealous that they didn't have the experience of growing up the 80s. It was kind of like the perfect time to grow up because it, you know, it wasn't messed up like the 70s, you know, where where people were just it was the hangover from the 60s. You know, the 80s was bubblegum and great music, great movies, great television. And it was still, you know, pre-cell phone, pre-internet, where you could go out on your bicycles and you could, you know just didn't get interrupted. Your parents weren't worried about where you were when you were going off to do stuff. And I, you know, to steal a phrase, I love the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember asking Rick Springfield about it one time when I interviewed him in person, he's like, ah, it's the last decade where we all felt safe. Yeah, it's true. 
I mean, you know, because even, you know, at that point, nuclear war felt like such an existential thing because, you know, glasnost and it just felt like, oh, things are going to get better. You know, China didn't feel like a real threat and you didn't feel like, you know, the the way in the 60s and the 50s, they were so worried about nuclear war, even the 70s. I mean, even with Reagan, you still felt like, okay, things maybe are getting better with the Russians, with the Soviets at the time. So it's like you didn't really feel. And then crime, it's funny because, you know, in a way, crime was worse. I grew up in New York back then, and yet it didn't feel that way. You know, I felt safe being on the subway and going into Manhattan. And uh, so, you know, but a lot of it is because we didn't have the Internet. Right. So we weren't being scared. I mean, there was a show scared straight. Right. But we weren't being <laughs> perpetually being scared all the time of stuff and told how dangerous things are. Oh, there's plastic in your water. And, you know, they're going to come get you on the subway and, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, it just feels like I guess ignorance was truly bliss. New York scared the hell out of me in the 80s. The only thing I knew about New York was the Warriors. Ah, it's so funny you say that because, uh, you know, people who know my film Free Enterprise, they know, uh, you know, based on the part of it was based on a true story that I went to see Star Trek, the motion picture on opening day in 1979. And even though it was rated G, they wouldn't let me and my friends into the movies. And for, they said, oh, because we won't let kids, because we recently had some problems in the theater and we won't let uh, kids come in after four o'clock unaccompanied by an adult. And for I I'd always I always wondered about that. And like a couple of years ago, it dawned on me, like it had opened a couple of months after the Warriors. It was obviously because of the Warriors that I couldn't get into Star Trek. And I mean, obviously I did because I ended up going to get my mother and begged her to take us. And she did to, to her everlasting credit. But um, it was the Warriors. You know, that was the thing. And yeah, war- the Warriors, people thought, oh, my God, New York. The Warriors, it was nothing. New York was nothing like that, you know. But everyone thought, oh, it's like the Warriors. You know, I mean, it was like, it's like come on. No, it's <laughs> not. Nothing like that at all. But the Warriors is great. You know, I mean, and and. To this day, and even you look back at it, and people are like, "Oh, New York back in the back in the seventies, wow, that was dangerous." It's like, yeah, people weren't running around with hockey masks and 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 trying to get the co- bop in the coney, and uh, it just no, not, they, <laughs> it was not happening. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's 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 a movie that I I probably watch it still once every two years or something like that to see if it still holds up. And it does. It's just kind of like, okay, it's, it's, it's like a little, you know, moment in time. It totally holds up. Walter Hill, you know, Walter Hill, that was like Walter Hill, the, the peak of his powers back then. He could do no wrong, yeah. you know, for a while. But then in 82, he had 48 hours, you know? So I, I was a big Walter Hill fan. Sure. Um, But, uh, you know, and then sort of, it, the, the you know it was it's kind of the way he got Rob Reiner disease where he made all these great <laughs> movies and then all of a sudden forgot how to make a movie. <laughs> um, nineteen eighty two greatest geek year ever. I mean, when I heard about this project, I was like, somebody gets it. I mean, somebody understands that nineteen eighty two was like, you know, like this pop icon zenith. You know, in so many ways. I mean, how did the idea come about for this this incredible documentary? Well, you know, it's funny uh, because I've been obsessed with 1982 probably since 1982. Um, because even at the time, I was young. I was young. I was teenage, young teen. I'm a young teenager at the time. But I did a fanzine that was, uh, you know, fan. You, you did magazines before the internet. People did blogs and websites. You know, I had a, I had a fanzine, and I remember getting from the studios 
and I was probably I was in middle school or maybe the beginning of high school, but I would get the the, the movies of 1982 from Universal, and then I got all this stuff from Paramount, and it was like, and, and, and even then I knew like this felt like really special, and um, you know, subsequently. Um, I had done a couple of uh, produced and curated a couple of tributes at the American Cinematheque when I was doing Geek Magazine, where we did tributes to 1982 and a couple of panels at Comic-Con. And so I was always obsessed with it. And then the pandemic happened and uh, I couldn't be in production on TV. Um, I was sitting there, you know, tw- twiddling my thumbs. Um, you know, so my day job show running TV was, you know, kind of on hiatus. I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't sit around and do nothing for two years or whatever it was going to end up being. And um, so I, I I, said, you know, it's the 40th anniversary of 1982 is coming up. Let's do a documentary. Unfortunately, I found Kindred Spirits um, in my uh, friend uh, Roger Lay, who had done a bunch of really great documentaries on Star Trek and on Rod Serling and um, and then Scott Mance, who is, uh, you know, super enthusiast and loves this stuff. And I said to them, I said, guys, um, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. Are you interested? And both of them could not be more um, excited about, you know, collaborating on it. And so um, we went and we were figuring out what the best way to do this. And, you know, against my better judgment, I we did a Kickstarter. And I'm grateful to the people that backed it because that helped jumpstart it I, kick or kickstart it, I guess. <laughs> um, we ended up spending a lot more money than that, but... Uh, but um, so that that was great. And, and it was also a way of, of, you know, getting people who are enthusiastic, you know, finding out about the that we were doing this. And so we went off and, and we did it and um, it just kept growing and growing and becoming bigger and bigger. And, um, you know, one of the challenges was when I started it, I'm like. We don't have to just do movies. We can do television because it was like Saint Elsewhere and Cheers and Remington Steel, Knight Rider and T.J. Hooker and Tales of the Gold Monkey and Square Pegs. It's like and Cheers all came and you know started that year. And then I'm like, you know, in music. It was like a freaking amazing year. Obviously, Thriller came out that year, but I mean, you had so many great. I mean, Joe Jackson's Night and Day, which I love, and you know, Rar Plants Picture at Eleven, which I love. And I mean, so many in Joe Jet with uh, I love rock and roll and, you know, I, the tiger, obviously, you know, <laughs> centerfold and, you know, human league had, don't you want me? And it's just like fucking great year. So I'm like, well, let's do all that at, at video games. We'll do this pitfall and Zaxxon and pole positions. And it's going to be great. ColecoVision came out that year. I mean, this is going to be, and I remember like when Atari, you know, suddenly other people were competing. So like Parker brothers came out with the empire strikes back for Atari. And it's like anything I could do, get the Odyssey two in. Because I was like the guy who had the Odyssey 2 and all my friends had the good stuff. And I had my parents like said, oh, everyone has Atari. So we're going to get you Odyssey 2 to make it cool. And I'm like, well, that's not cool because I want the Atari. (laughs) So uh, but I end up loving it. So it was like an amazing, amazing year. But then we started to realize, like, we can't. This documentary is going to be a zillion hours. Like the movies, it was like going to be four hours and was like, we can't then do TV and music and it's just going to, it's going to take us forever to do that. And, you know, at some point we had to put this thing to bed. So we decided let's just focus on movies, um, which we did. And then, you know, like the original cut was like four hours and, um, you know, we're just like, oh, so we finally got it down to like a little under three hours and everybody's saying, oh, we got to be under two hours. And I'm like, bullshit it doesn't have to be anything it's what we say and you know fortunately 
you know, we sort of brought it to the uh, film festival in Sitges as a proof of concept and it played really well there, you know, and a lot of these movies never even played in Spain, you know, because it was under Franco at the time and they loved it. So it was like, okay, they validated it. So then when we made our deal with the CW, they wanted it as a TV series, not as a movie, which was great. So we basically made some changes, not a lot to make it uh, four episodes and um, obviously had to make certain changes for uh, broadcast standards and stuff. So, yeah, on July 8th uh, on the CW, at 8 o'clock, uh, uh, the first episode, and then it, it plays all month and they're going to repeat it. It'll be on the app. And we're really happy. And obviously, if this goes well, then we might end up doing more years although 82 is the best let's face yeah. it if, if you had to skip i would skip 83 i would go straight to 84 after this well that's your your kindred spirit because that's exactly what we 83 was not a good year remember it was the year of 3d it was the year where they were trying to make 3d happen so you had jaws 3d which was terrible and you had um uh, uh coming at you and you had space hunter adventures of forbidden zone and you had just all these terrible 3d movies and um, it was not a great year, but 84 is, I mean, I know a lot of people are like 82, 84 is better, man. <laughs> 84 is better. And it's not, but it's a great year. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. 82, because you've got, you've got, the, you've got, you've got, I mean, well, first of all, you start with the Holy grail of eighties time capsules. You have fast times Richmond high, yep. but mm -hmm. if you, if you, okay, you don't want to be a populist. Okay. Well then I'll hit you with the Tron and the ET and wrath of Khan and blade runner, you know, Conan, you all, well, you want to go horror. I'll hit you with poltergeist. You know, you, you want to go retro. I mean, Here's diner, you know, it's like, I, I, and that's why it broke up so well for TV because like the first one, we sort of introduced the whole idea of what 82 was like. We put you in the 82 and then we do e the summer Spielberg ET and poltergeist the same year. It's like, Oh my God, it's the same, same month. Forget the same year. Right. And then the next episode we get to science fiction. So it's Blade Runner, Star Trek Two, it's you know Tron. I mean Road Warrior. I mean it's just insane. And, and you know then we go into fantasy, and you, you know people forget. Yes, it's the year of Conan the Barbarian, but the movie that made more money than Conan was Sword of Sorcerer, yeah, which yeah. only you know cost a million dollars. But you know that was when movies could go to play drive-ins. It could be dumped in theaters. These crappy little movies and do really well. And Sword of the Sorcerer, I'm doing a disservice saying it's a crappy little movie it's not but there are a lot of there were a lot of crappy little movies that came out that would do well in theaters and yet dark crystal and beastmaster and all of us who grew up in the 80s knew you know hbo stood for hey beastmaster's on later changed to uh <laughs> tbs the beastmaster station so um you know it, it, it's great and then horror i mean it's freaking amazing because you got john carpenter's the thing poltergeist creep show cat people halloween three you know forbidden world I mean, Swamp Thing, which I don't know if you really consider that horror. Um, but, you know, and, and and it's like we didn't cover it, I, I, but I wanted to. Uh, the seduction with Morgan's Fairchild. I remember getting into trouble for I worked at a video store and I brought that home. My mom thought I was bringing home porn. I'm like, no, it's a thriller. It, it was an R-rated thriller, but it sounded like porn. And it was like, uh, no, it's, it's a seduction. Yeah. And so I wanted to cover that. But no, uh, yeah. so many great things. And then, yeah, I mean, Fast Times, forget it. I mean, it's the Citizen Kane of exploitation, as EW said. And it's interesting because Porky's, even you can't go by IMDb. It says it came out in 81, but it actually wasn't released to 82. It's sort of what we went through with Liquid Sky. We really wanted to cover Liquid Sky, right? But the problem with Liquid Sky is IMDb says 82, 
but it played a film festival in 82. It didn't come out till 83. And uh. we thought it was cheating to include. We did all the interviews. It was going to be a great segment. I think it's in the extended deleted scenes or something. But we didn't feel it was right to cover it because it wasn't technically an 82 movie. Um, but, you know, we did Slumber Party Massacre and a little bit of Last American Virgin. And we name check this app. And then we get to the comedy. So, I mean, it's like it keeps going. It's like Tootsie, 48 Hours, Night Shift, Diner, my favorite year. I mean, it's just Airplane 2. We even get Shatner to talk about Airplane 2. Because, you know, I mean, I can get Bill to talk about Star Trek all day. But, like, let's talk to him about Airplane 2. And he talked about it. He, I mean, he was he was willing to go and like share a oh, story. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, he's yes. the best. Yes. And um, you know, it's so interesting because it was a year where you had so many actors who were doing like more than one movie. Like obviously Stallone with Rocky Three and First Blood. I mean, what a year for him, right? But then you also had Clint Eastwood did Firefox, and then he also did um Oh my God! What was it? Rambling Road, not Rambling Rose, uh, Honky Tonk, whatever it was. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I know. What I know what you're talking about. And, I, and yeah, Jessica well, Lange is in Tootsie, and Francis, and Meryl Streep is in. Um, God, was she? And she's still the night. And I forget what the other thing. Oh, Sophie's Choice. It's like all these actors who are like double threats. Yeah. They're not just great in one movie. They're like great in two movies. I mean, Sean Young. She's in Blade Runner, and she's also in um, Young Doctors uh, in Love. Young Doctors in Love, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. How often do people get to name check that one? I know. We we actually inter- when we interviewed her for Blade Runner, we talked about Young Doctors in Love. We ended up not using it just because of time, where we didn't talk about Young Doctors in Love. It didn't feel essential, yeah, you know. It's not. <laughs> but um, I mean, and there are things that I wish we I, there are things that I, we covered which we didn't include, like shoot the moon i really would have liked to have kept um because i think that's a really good film and that's another alan parker did shoot the moon and pink floyd the wall that year i mean jesus what a year for him yeah and um i mean it just goes on and on and mel gibson oh another twofer year living dangerously and road warrior yeah although you could say oh came out in australia in 81 i don't can count that because it came out (laughs) in the united states in 82 I, I have I have Year of Living Danger Center my list of the the most underappreciated flicks of 1982. It's there with Firefox, The Verdict, Officer and a Gentleman, and if I'm trying to just I, I go back and forth on uh, the Grease Two, whether it's a guilty pleasure or an underrated flick, I, I don't know. We, I just, you know, we didn't get into this whole reappreciation of Grease Two. I know there's a lot of people that you know, and and we really give it short shrift. I, we probably should have done more on Grease too. Honky Tonk Man, that was the other That's Clint it. Eastwood movie. Yeah, but um, but okay. So let's let's go through your list. Okay, The Verdict should have won the Oscar that year for Best Picture. The Verdict's great. Yes, you know, and I think we give it a lot of love. I, I got to tell you, the, 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 fun, the final scene where the phone's just ringing and he's not picking it up just kills me every time. I know. I love that movie. Paul Newman is so great in it. It's so great. Um, okay, so what were the other movies you said? Uh, Austin Gentleman. Austin yeah. Gentleman, people forget, that was bigger than Star Trek too. That was huge. It was one of the top movies of the year. People don't remember it anymore. Yeah. How is that possible? I don't know. I, I can't forget movie. it. I can't forget it because my mom took me to see it in the theaters three times because you know, she just loves the love story there. So like, right. I can probably do like a, a one-man rendition of Officer and Gentleman on stage if I had to still. It's all that I have. No, I'd like, <laughs> uh, be proud of those like, wings, mayonnaise. And then you know, uh, it, it was like the Top Gun Maverick of 1982. Well, no, you know? Firefox was. Well, but no, but Firefox. 
fire, but Firefox, like, yeah, for action. But in terms of like the the way it engaged people who don't necessarily go to the movies, who got really excited about you know coming out. I'll, I'll you know I'll say it because I'm on LA. It's the flyover country. Somebody showed up, <laughs> right? So uh, I mean, people, everyone loved, um, love, 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 Officer and Gentleman, and they as they should because it's a great movie, um, and a great a great romance. But um, so wait, so what are you? Oh, so Firefox. So let's talk about Firefox. So I haven't seen Firefox since I rented it on video in like '83 or so on HBO, right? So I watch it, you know, getting ready to do the documentary. It's one of the first people we interviewed was a screenwriter for it, and um, I forgot it's such a good movie, especially until you get to when it turns into Star Wars with planes. But yeah. um, the espionage story is great. It's really good. Like Eastwood makes a really good movie. I mean, it's funny to hear John Dykstra talk about it because we're like, dude, it's Star Wars, right? And he goes, yeah, I know. He said, <laughs> I, I, it was such a mistake. He said, I just, he said, I'm a pilot and I shot it like real planes would fly. And I, I just, no, he said, I, you know, and it's, it's, and it's, it's funny because I remember people would rent it at the video store where I worked just to watch the ending. Like that's how amazing they thought it was at the time. Yeah. It was like the Death Star Trench for a half hour. Where they could watch it with a you know playing thinking Russian and, yeah, and nobody yeah. every and back then everybody said oh it's so slow until you get to the end now it's like this movie's great until you get to the end yeah. <laughs> that's another movie that sadly I can quote all the way through can you really fly that plane Gant you know and stuff like that. I, I could do the whole Firefox you know I hope you're enjoying your your nocturnal tour of our city you know <laughs> I always joke one of the great action hero names of all time Mitchell Gant I love it in the track he Mitchell Gant is the only one who could steal the <laughs> Firefox it's like you know so awesome but uh and and he's great in it and um you know it, it's funny because people talk about first blood but you know Firefox also dealt with PTSD they didn't call it PTSD at the time yeah but uh it was PTSD the same way that you know Sly was dealing with it in first blood you know as as john rambo um but it's it's it was great because we talked to for firefox screenwriter who had great stories and then also john dykstra who had great stories about it as well and that's another one where how much can you do on firefox i probably could have done a half hour segment just on firefox it would have been amazing and i think it's about you know six minutes in the movie and I, i i that was a hard one to cut down because i loved it but, you know, at that point, you're into the second tier, third tier movies of the year. And it was like, but I kind of looked at it with a lot of these films. These are movies that never had great special features on Blu-ray or DVD or stuff like Night Shift. No one had ever covered that movie in depth. So we got Henry Winkler's home movies and we spend a lot of time. We got Henry Winkler and Ron Howard. And it's like, it's so great. There's no one shown that movie any love. So whenever there's something like that, I tried to give it a little more time in the documentary than, you know, obviously because E.T. gets a yeah. lot and yeah, yeah, sure. 2 gets a lot and, you know, the usual Blade Runner. But, you know, you're not going to be better than Charlie DeLazarica's Dangerous Days about Blade Runner. So it's almost like I'm like, eh, maybe a little less Blade Runner and, you know, more of the Beastmaster, you yeah. know, stuff that doesn't get the attention normally. What What did Henry and Howard say about Night Shift? I mean, I haven't I've obviously haven't seen this, the show yet, but I mean, in general, were they 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 feel happy with their work they love it good one of the reasons they did the documentary henry winkler would go anywhere to talk about it he's so proud of that movie <laughs> you'll see it he's like gushing he's just gushing about this movie and i think the fact that it didn't do well and that anybody wants to talk about it 40 years 
later meant so much to them. Because, yeah, it was the same thing with Ron Howard. He's like, yeah, I want to talk about it. But you know, not everybody wants to, you know, you, you, you know, uh, people, they don't, they don't know. They, you know, at the time we made it, they didn't know where it was going to air or, you know, people were going to see it or who, you know, what was going on. And, you know, my background is all in, in scripted TV. So it's like I hadn't really done a ton, you know, unscripted. So, uh, you know, I could call in some favors, but there are a lot of people it's like, you know, I don't know, but so it's a leap of faith for them. So yeah. it was so nice to see that so many people were willing to be a part of it and excited to to talk to us because I mean, a lot of these people we talked to for hours, and I felt terrible. It's like we were only able to use so little. And I, I mean, even you're living dangerously. We had this great interview about casting Linda Hunt, and just really fantastic. And we just we couldn't spend the real estate on you're living dangerously. So it's in there. There's some good stuff about it, but you, you know. Uh, this could have been another couple hours, you know, honestly. Yeah. And we, you know, and maybe if it's successful, we'll go back and we'll add to it because um, there's so much we didn't use that I love. But, you know, it's still, it's like, we'll see what the interest is. Are people as passionate about this as we are? You know, right now, four episodes feels right, you know, four, four hour, ep- one hour episodes. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot more. And then the people who back the Kickstarter have access to some deleted scenes, some extended scenes, some other cool stuff. But there's a there's hours and hours and hours more that we didn't use. Yeah. Is is there a golden age of of geek movies and sci fi movies? I mean, I mean, I, I always tend to think of it as a genre that evolves with its time. That there's never mm-hmm. going to be. It's not like it's not like you know musicals in Hollywood or uh, you know rom-coms and Hollywood. it seems to me it's whatever you made your own personal connection kind of like it is with the music in the 80s you know you you connect with the first sci-fi movies you remember for me it was like logan's run and yeah planet of the apes and and stuff yeah. like that so i mean totally so but yeah so star wars and and blade runner still still in the that window for us but you know it's more like early seventies to to mid eighties, but I mean, do you think that's true that 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 window continues to slide with people as they you know depending? I on- think it does, but I I feel like yeah, because for some people who are older than us, like the the golden years were the fifties, you know, for George Pal and you know, um, but to me, like the only one that I really love of that era is like Forbidden Planet, like I think is amazing. Um, you know, a day the earth is still, which is a genuine, it's a great movie. It's not just a great science fiction movie, yeah. you know, but a lot of that stuff, like when worlds collide and the invaders from Mars, like I enjoy them, but I don't think they're great movies. Whereas when you get into our era of 77, 79, 82, 84, there are so many great movies. I mean, I know Scott says in the documentary, he says, it's not just the greatest geek year ever. It's the greatest year for movies ever. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I'm a big fan of 39 and some of the other years, I, but it, it is an amazing year. It's certainly, it is the greatest geek year ever. Um, but 77 is fantastic. But once you get past Star Wars and Spy Who Loved Me and um, Damnation Alley, which is the mega force of 77, um, you know, and a couple of the other things, you know, it's not a deep bench. 79 is actually almost better you know, you got Star Trek the Motion Picture, and you have um, the Black Hole. Black Hole, that's what I was thinking. Time after time, and like I think it almost it, it, there's a deeper bench in '79 and '77. Um, but of course, it's all because of Star Wars. And what you really see with '82 is it takes a while 
Because there are a bunch of all these Star Wars ripoffs that came out. The message from space, Starship Invasions. They were the, the cheapy imports. But you you finally see like the success of Star Wars and then the success of Empire reflected in the movies 82. Because they had it be in production in 80 and 81. So the, it, the impact, you can draw a line from the success of Star Wars to 82. Some people said, you know, 82 is really the beginning of the end of the 70s and the beginning of the 80s, more so than 80 is. Like Outland and all that stuff, that's the 70s in a way, even though it's 80. 81, uh, you know, Outland and, and some of these other films. But 82, and even Time Bandits and things like that, but you really feel with 82, it's the 80s, but yet there's still a holdover from the 70s because these aren't frivolous movies. There isn't just special effects for special effects sake. It's about stuff. I mean, ET is obviously it's about something. It's about somebody who's lost his dad in a divorce. And now he has the surrogate and, you know, now he's the dad to this ET. I mean, there's so much more depth to these movies. I mean, yeah. look at Blade Runner. People are still arguing about what the hell it was about now. You know, was, and, uh, I mean, was he a representative or not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Conan the Barbarian, which could easily been a dumb muscle man movie like Hercules in New York or something, is not. There's so much more going on there. John Milius brings so much more to that. The Riddle of Steel and, you know, what is good in life, Conan? The crush enemies to see them about that before <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. the them. I mean, it's like, you know, and, and even something like Dark Crystal is just cuckoo for Cocoa Pups. Let's make a fantasy movie with Muppets. And it's not going to be funny and it's not going to have songs and it's going to be like a Tolkien. I mean, that's crazy. And uh, I mean, the same thing with the thing. I mean, look at the thing. I mean, it made no money. It's now one of the great horror movies of all time. But like, who thought that was going to make money as a summer movie? Yeah. It doesn't even have an ending. I mean, <laughs> it has an ending, but it's so dark and and fatalistic and nihilistic, you know, and the way I, I was like, how the hell do you think that movie is going to be a summer blockbuster? Yeah. And you know, Paul Schrader's <clears throat> cat people. I mean, that's Gonzo. <laughs> I mean, he has to. Yeah, you know, the only way she can have sex is if she has sex with her brother. Yeah. I mean, it's like this was a mainstream Universal movie. But you, could, you I could, love '82. <laughs> what, what's cool about '82, though, too, is you talk about the thing having a, a bummer of an ending. You could still have a movie with a bummer ending in '82, and and nobody like burns the theater house down. Right I mean, at, the, at the end of Last American Virgin, Gary drives away in his car crying. With uh, you know, sad sad ballad playing in the background, you know. Guess I did my best, but I guess my best wasn't good. And it's just there it is, movie over. Go on and to have your horny teenage lives, people. But this is how it all ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me totally. let me ask, let me ask you this because nineteen eighty two, Wrath of Khan. If Wrath of Khan doesn't come around and become the phenomenal game changer that it is, does does the rest of the Star Trek universe not happen? Yeah. If Khan hadn't worked or Khan hadn't happened, Star Trek's dead. Star Trek's yeah. done. None of this other stuff we've seen would have ever happened. And it's really remarkable because I give all the credit to Nick Meyer for those 11 days where he wrote that script, where he took all the drafts that didn't work. And they're horrible. I've read most of them. <laughs> and and he take, but he, he literally doesn't really change them. Like what Nick Meyer did is he takes stuff from all of them. It's like Mad Libs. And strings them together and makes the dialogue better and tells a coherent story and makes it great. It's incredible. It's 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 screenwriting one hundred and one. Very few people, I think, could have done what he did, um, which is a testament to him. Um, it, it, it's funny though because you know, obviously, I know a little something about Star Trek, as, as people know. You know, <laughs> yeah, um, a little and. 
And, <laughs> and I learned stuff I never knew making this movie, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, we all knew it was produced. Star Trek two was produced through the TV division. What I didn't know was that um, David Marcus and Savick were cast by Gary Nardino, who's the head of Paramount TV, because the plan was if Star Trek two did not do well, they would potentially spin off a TV series with David and Savick and do a low budget Star Trek TV series. Wow. No, I didn't know that. Shit. Yeah. Which is insane. And, you know, it's like, I, because I do consider myself, and I say this on, on Inglorious Treks, but it's my podcast. I said a bit of a Trek archaeologist. So when you find these nuggets that you've never heard after, you know, I've written books and, you know, I've done articles and I've done movies and documentaries, it's like, oh my God. So whenever you come upon these stories you've never heard, it's always awesome. Um, and that was one of the joys of, of obviously this, because that was the other thing. I didn't want the Star Trek two section to just be the usual Star Trek two, Star Trek one was bad, which it isn't. <laughs> it's great. But Star Trek two is bad. And we made Star Trek two and it was good. And Ricardo, it was his real chest. And, uh, <laughs> and, and made a lot of money and everybody loves it. And Spock died, but then he came back because the fans were mad. It's like, I didn't not want to tell that story. Because I don't care, and we it's been told a million times. Sure. So I think I think our it's a little better, and of course the fact that Bill did it, which as a favor to me, which was amazing, because Bill doesn't do that stuff, and you know, but we obviously have a great relationship from doing Free Enterprise together, and I'm so grateful to him for doing the documentary, and uh, he was great, and it was funny because I, I said I want to talk to you about the three things, um, you know, Star Trek Two, obviously, Airplane Two. And I said, let's talk about visiting hours. And he goes, what's that? I said, yeah, it's a horror movie you did in Canada. And he's like, uh, I don't know what that is. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of free enterprise, I I didn't know until recently a lot of the backstory there that that you had to put Pro Shatner on it and originally said, you know, great story, but I don't want to do it. Sent you guys back to, to, to do rewrites. Still likes it, but I'm not going to do it. And finally does it and it becomes this i don't even know if you can call it a cult film or what i mean i don't know what to when i first saw it i just i just had a smile on my face the entire way through it's just all the touch points of sci-fi and movies of that time are just so incredibly pla- so lovingly placed in that movie it's, it's got to be something you're you you still remain pretty proud of oh i do i mean you know i mean at the time you know, I, I I was publishing and I was an author, but it was my my the first movie I ever did. You know, it was the, it was my gateway to you know becoming a film writer, producer, and a TV showrunner. And but more importantly than that, to make a movie with your childhood idol and have it be you know, it's about two guys who meet their idol William Shatner and find out he's more fucked up than they are, right? Right or screwed up. I don't know if you say fucked up on the we show. We can say so, fucked up. Okay, so he's more <laughs> fucked up than they are. And and to have it be, you know, to then have this real life experience where we just had the greatest experience with Bill. Um, and and then to go after we finished the movie to can with him. Now, albeit he went on the Concord and we went like in steerage on Delta, <laughs> but um, you know, and then to to go uh, you know to to Con Film Festival and Planet Hollywood can have him give his outfit from the movie uh to Planet Hollywood and to walk along while he's doing interviews for E along the cassette. And he would just like look out and and longingly and go topless. Topless is good. And it was like, I mean, it was just like, 
you, I mean, if, if that was the end of my career, if that had been all I had ever done and that was it, it would have been amazing because, oh, I mean, the best thing was we, we had a party one night for the movie, you know, for buyers and people. And, and, and it was a party also at this movie called Festival Can. And so Maximilian Schell was there. Oh. So it was like Shatner shows up. He hasn't seen Maximilian Schell since they made Judgment in Nuremberg. So they oh, give each geez. other a big hug. But the director, Rob Burnett, and I were both looking. And all we could think was, oh, my God, it's Captain Kirk and Professor Hans Reinhardt of the Cygnus. And it was the greatest thing. So, like, literally, if that had been it for me, it would have been incredible. But it ended up paving the way for so many amazing opportunities like this documentary. And I'm so grateful. And, you know, I, I used to poo-poo all these people saying, you know, oh, Star Trek changed my life. They go up to the actors and say, oh, I became an engineer. I did this. I did that. It means so much to me. I'm like, oh, geez, I rolled my eyes. But I'm from New York. So, I have, but, uh, you know. But I've had so many people now come up to me, and I know Rob has too, about free enterprise and saying, you know, this movie changed my life, or I was on drugs, and then I saw this, and I realized that I should pursue my dream. I was like, seriously, I mean, it means so much. So even to this day, I mean, people come up and say, oh, I love this you did or that, and it's nice. But when they come up to free enterprise, it means more to me because it's just a very special film, and it was a special experience. His relationship with Star Trek, is it typical, do you think, with other actors in the Star Trek universe and how they relate to their time in those roles? I I don't know. I think Bill has had a very unique experience. Of course, he's the face of the franchise. He, um, you know, I don't know how much he actually knows about Star Trek. <laughs> um, although it's funny because, you know, sometimes you think, oh, he doesn't really remember this stuff. But then. He'll give you a knowing look or make a comment. And I remember we were talking when we were filming the movie and we were sitting at the bookstore filming a scene with Eric McCormick. And I don't know how so we said something about Angelique Pettyjohn. And he comes over and he overheard the conversation and he just sort of raises his eyebrow and says, who's Angelique Pettyjohn? And you know exactly he knows who she is. And you know exactly what went down with him and Angelique Pettyjohn. And he's just like, you know, shrugging like, ah, who's that? <laughs> who, me? Little of me, it was it was so uh, it's it's so endearing, and I just, uh, just uh, I can't I, I just he's a role model, and he continues to be a role model. Because look at him in '93, he's fit, he's 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 he every weekend he's traveling, he has a zest and a, a, for life, you know, um, he just a joy to vive, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, we should all be that. Uh, you know, I mean, look at us. We're older now than he was in Star Trek Two when he was like, I feel old, as old as part of this collection. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> You're younger than us. Yeah. I, th I thought I thought I was telling in the movie when another group of people identify with him as oh, he's TJ Hooker. He's not <laughs> yeah. he's not Captain Kirk, he's TJ Hooker. And I'm like, Well, that goes on because there's a generation that knew him as as, as Kirk. Then there's a generation that knew him as T.J. Hooker. But after we did the movie, then it goes, this generation knows him as Denny Crane. They don't know him as anything else. Yeah. Or yeah. the the Priceline Huckster. They know him as the <laughs> negotiator, right? And and it just goes on and on. Where and Because it was a part where people knew him from Rescue 911. That doesn't really exist anymore. But the T.J. Hooker thing, for sure. And yeah. you know, we had a lot of fun with that. Obviously, you know, there's these rappers and the hip-hop guys, and they only know him from T.J. Hooker. Besides Free Enterprise and, and and obviously this amazing documentary that I can't wait to see, I got to give you mad props. I, uh, you worked on Castle. I did. I did. Yeah, I worked on Castle the first year when it was finding its sea legs. It was an interesting yeah. experience. Um, 
but a good one. And I think we knew that this, and it was right after the last actor strike, uh, not actor strike, writer strike. Right. And so it was a, a, a shortened year and it was, it was tough coming back after that strike and then jumping in and getting that thing on its feet. But uh, obviously it has stood the test of time and people love it. And Nathan is a doll. Oh, I, I, I had a, I was supposed to meet him at a Comic-Con here in Orlando last year or the year right about the time of the pandemic. And it was such a shit show at the Comic-Con that it never happened. But man, I mean, talk about, I mean, I'm, I'm still making my way through Castle. I'm in season seven, the second to the last season. Mm. But um, I love it when he does a little nod and wink to uh, Firefly Space Cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that, and and uh, yeah. every time there's a wink to sci-fi in that show, he loved it. He loved doing Firefly. I mean that that um, meant so much to him, and he was great in it. And Firefly is a terrific show, and yeah, it's a shame that you know now I think you probably would have seen another season or two um, of it, you know. But uh, but yeah, he had so much love for it. They all did, you know. Yeah. So I'm it, that's another one. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, at some time. You, you saw it, you know, especially because now um, the guy who does nine one one, Tim Minear, you know, he also is so loves that Firefly, and I, I could I could see something happening with that again. You know, now if somebody told me when I was a kid when they canceled Battlestar Galactica that they about they would bring back Battlestar Galactica, I'd be like, you're on glue. There's no way it's never going to happen. So after that, I believe anything can come back. Super Train, I don't know, it can all come back. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was a huge I, I have somewhere in, in one of my filing cabinets here all the original Battlestar Galactica trading cards because my my grandmother worked at one, a Wonder Bread factory or something like that where they <laughs> put them and she literally during the course of her shifts would pocket you know pocket them and so I have literally a collection of two hundred of them somewhere around here you know and um, I, I'm never going to part with them you can put them in my coffin with me um, but uh, and and Cylons still still scare the shit out of me Cylons Sleestack. And and um, ah, what else? The the carousel outfits from Logan's Run. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are so creepy, carousel. I mean, that's why obviously it was such a great metaphor for us in Free Enterprise to do the turning thirty and use the whole Logan's Run of it all. Yeah. Um, to to deal with that because yeah, you're right. Even more so. Look, we all love Star Wars more, but Logan's Run was kind of more of a touchstone in a way than Star Wars even was i think because you know it had all that weird creepy iconography you know 30 seems so far off mm. and it was such a, a i you know important year to all you know and that's why it was such a milestone i think when we all turned 30 and also it was like the first pg movie that had nudity in it so it was like you know for for a kid you know to, so it, there's so much about logan's run that i and it's just you know it's just it's cool and it's a cool premise and um you know, obviously, Star Wars is a much better, more enduring film. But I mean, people in our generation, we we all know Logan's Run and remember Logan's Run. And you know, uh, you know, I don't love it as a great movie, but I love it. You know, people say, oh, you know, a lot of times they say, oh, it's just nostalgia. You know, certain things. Logan's Run to a point is nostalgia. The original Star Trek is not nostalgia. The original Star Trek was just a fucking great show. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there's just there's a merit in just having a great idea. And and Logan's Run was a great idea. It was it a was great, a great idea. And I read yeah. the book afterwards. And the book's actually, I think, a little bit better because it has an ending. Now you I know. have to read the book. So yeah, the book was the book was good. There was a sanctuary. So 
Well, there was was. shit. Now it kind of ruins everything for me. No, 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 it doesn't. It doesn't. You got to find out what it is. Oh, geez. I've been going around for years going, there is no sanctuary. All dead. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, thanks for your time on this, on this, uh, for this chat. I can't thank you enough for honoring 1982 and giving it its due. And it's just going to be an incredible series. I can't, I cannot wait to watch it. And, uh, Thanks, Steve. It, it, look, it's my pleasure talking 1980s with you. And um, I, we just we're so excited that there's, you know, this audience of people that are excited, as excited as we are about seeing it. And uh, yeah, July, July 8th. And it's going to repeat on the Tuesday 11th. And it's also going to be on the CW app. And, um, you know, also just watch the space, so to speak, because there's going to be more to tell, hopefully. And of course, um, we're going to be doing some special coverage of my podcast and Glorious Trexperts. Uh, in the coming weeks as well. So uh, hopefully people will check that out. There he is, Mark A. Allman. What a fun conversation. I, I'm, I'm jealous. That, that, was, that was amazing. I mean, I could have talked to him for two hours about Battlestar Galactica. So he said he was one year off from you, right? Yeah, he's a year older. Year older. So he was probably class of 84. Yes. Okay. So I was wondering about that because you and I are one year off. I was class of 86, right? You were 85. Right. So we're all all in that sweet spot. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, yeah. Especially for 82. So 82, doing the math, I was 13 years old. Yeah, so I was a freshman in, or I was going going to be a freshman in high school that year, that summer. Um, so yeah, so eighty two, and then Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I think about that movie, and really, is there any other movie from that year that really just encapsulates your youth in the eighties? People talk a lot about the eighties movies and which ones best represent the decade, and and. I always wince when people say something like uh, Breakfast Club or Ferris Bueller or you know. 16 Candles. And I'm like, no, it's really not a John Hughes movie. I mean, he has his niche, but it's not providing like a, a perfect time capsule of that period of time. And what's so great about Fast Times at Richmond High, it was, first of all, it was a great movie then. I mean, I loved oh, yeah. Fast Times at Richmond High. It might be my favorite 80s movie, but it, when you look back at it now, it's so it seems so deliberate in showing you. Here's what people are wearing. Here's here's the video games they're playing. Here's the, the music, music that they're listening to. Here's yeah. the way they comb their hair. I mean, it's just there's nothing about it that's not a just just you know put that in a in a time capsule and send it to a different universe and just say this was America in the '80s. Period. If you yeah. only watch one movie to get an idea of what the '80s felt like, that's the one. That's that's the one. Yes. It's, yeah. It really is. I mean, when he calls it the Citizen Kane of 80s movies, it's it couldn't be more right, of course. Yeah. No, it, it's the Gen X Citizen Kane. Yeah. And I, I remember when, when I saw the title of this documentary, 1982 Greatest Geeker Ever, it took about 3.9 seconds for me to, for that to go through my brain and have me come out and basically say, that is absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. And if you look at the movies that came out that that year. So the question is, do you have to have that modifier in there, the word geek? Hmm. 
You know what I mean? Like, is does is that necessary? Wow, that's an interesting point. I hadn't so if you about. say because you're saying that is the greatest fill in the blank. I don't know if I would come up with geek because he's just doing the movies. And if you're a geek, you know, if you were a nerd, uh, there that was when video games, the golden age of video games and home computing. You know, that was that was when we had our first Commodore 64. I think yeah, came out yeah. 1982 yeah. and, and the Atari 800XL that we had. Uh, he, 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 he named the uh, Odyssey 2, which I thought was hysterical because that was our first video game. My grandparents, who loved games, loved anything games, anything gaming, uh, video games they loved. Uh, I remember we went to somebody's house for New Year's Eve 1979 going into 80, and they had one of those Odyssey 2s. And I told my grandfather about it. I said, this thing is great. You know, he played his, I go over his house. He's got it. Yeah. Now I grew, grew up pretty much in my grandparents' house uh, playing all those games. And every time I went on a camping trip with the Boy Scouts, which was several times a year, I could not wait to get home on that Sunday afternoon because he would always buy a new video game and have it ready for when I came back. Oh, from, wow. That's, from, that's from so cool. Camping. What a great so memory. I would rush to, you know, I'd rush to my grandparents' house. And they only lived right down the street. And I would rush, to, you know, and I would, uh, play whatever the new game was Casey Casey Munchkin or UFO and Vader's Plus and Cosmic Conflict which none of these games were on the Atari which all my friends had you know because they were rocking the uh, what, what games I guess probably uh, Space Invaders and Pac-Man and that kind of stuff yeah yeah no, I, guess, I, I think you could I, I see what he's trying to do I, I, I don't know if you would you could you could probably call it like the greatest pop culture year ever maybe yeah Maybe that's, but I great greatest geek year ever is is catchier, and I know yeah. and I know it's a it's completely a term of endearment. Oh so, yes, yeah, he's I, not poking fun at all. No, no, the, no that's that's the, us. The guy who writes the definitive <laughs> history of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Battlestar Galactica, and Star Trek is not right. He is not <laughs> poking at anybody. You know, he's it, it comes from a place of love. You know what else comes from a place of love? What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. We will play a snippet of a movie from the 80s. I'm just looking at the notes. Brad's not here, by the way, um, as you might have noticed. Um, (laughs) But he's not forgotten. He actually did uh, pull all the notes for the Seggies. So just now seeing, like, because I don't even know that I heard what the movie clip was last time because he put it together, so... Uh, so, I'm like, so a little oh, okay. piece of blue thunder i guess yeah yeah so um so anyway we'll play a uh a snippet of a movie from the 80s and um if you get it right you're into the drawing for the poster friendly bottle opener which i assume brad is still taking care of uh i know he's he's on he's up in the northeast right now with visiting his son so uh anyway pay attention here was the clip the last time we did this colonel one of your missiles just took out a barbecue shack down in little tokyo francis isn't that Ray's district? Yes, it is. Do you have his number? Right here. Well, you better give him a call. Yep, that's Blue Thunder. Uh, Blue Thunder. I, I even, I guess I saw that once or twice. Is that the one with Roy Schneider or yes. Schneider? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But uh, what what movie do you think you've seen the most number of times from the eighties? Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Really? Easily, hands down. Yeah. In nineteen eighty two, it was every single time it was on, I was watching it. Yeah. So that's one of the movies that you can't you can't get any quote past me from that movie. You got the one from the beginning of the show. I mean, so that's Oh uh, yeah, yeah. 
God, what have I seen the most number of times? I've seen Purple Rain a lot. Valley Girl's probably up there on the list. Uh, Fast Times. I saw Weird Science a lot. Trying to, uh, trying to, it, it would have to be something that was early in the eighties when because it was yeah we would have watched it on HBO over and over yeah again. just over and over we had we had another what, what in in the Philadelphia area we had Prism which was Philadelphia Regional and Home Sports and Movies and they would show movies over and over as well when we oh. first got it in late seventies like around seventy nine when we got cable I think Jaws was the movie that was on all day long and that was. But it, but eighties movies, yeah, it's definitely got to be Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. We, what a great movie! We had um, we had a VCR, obviously, like as everyone did, probably weighed about fifty pounds. But I, I think my mom learned early on that you could fit how many? You could fit three movies on a single. Cassette. You could fit four if you had the eight hour and you did it in super long play or ELP yeah. or whatever that mode I was. Think we did. I think we did three. So I. I, I I remember when I went to college and I took that beast with me, that beast of a VCR. Was it a top loading one that yes. you had to actually push down the yep. buttons yep. like a tape recorder? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. And uh, I brought it there and my mom gave us gave me every home cassette that we had taped movies on. So I literally had probably, I don't know, 10 tapes, 15 tapes. So I had just endless amounts of movies that I could watch and so I, I was I was the hero of. Oh, you were the most popular guy on campus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's go watch. Uh, you know, I remember Caddyshack was the one that seemed like he was always in Caddyshack <laughs> or or Beverly Hills Cop. But um... so again, my my grandparents, I talk about that a lot because they they pretty much helped raise me. Uh, they were the first one out of anybody that I ever knew to have a VCR in the late seventies, and Caddyshack was one of the. You know, you had to buy them at the store they this was before blockbuster even existed right so we you know they were 99 dollars per movie so you were very uh you you had to be discriminating when you decided which movies you were going to lay out the money for yes but that was a movie my grandfather loved and uh so that i probably watched caddyshack a lot maybe not as many times as star trek 2 but it's up there <laughs> it's yeah the um anyway we had some winners who knew it was blue thunder uh, why don't you take a crack at it all right so winners include kevin pipe wench Strubes, dave perrette anastasia in colorado daryl carver blue fest from san diego lee from the hashtag sf bay area 80s cruisers Brock in North Dakota, Tom Korn in Illinois and kevin in denver who writes i still need a jfo hat that's a reference to uh Blue Thunder. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Did I get everybody's name right? Yep. Like that Pretty Lee good. from the hashtag. I know who that is. Yeah. I know who Lee is. Uh, anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's uh, mystery movie moment. I was a tight end with the Philadelphia Eagles. Number 90, Robert Muldoon. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a great pair of hands. If you know it, email us at podcast at SIT. Podcast at sit80s.com. Is that it? Has it been that long since I've done a show that I don't remember the, my own email address? <laughs> ah, I just, I'm out of it. <laughs> and you're not, not even doing the bourbon yet. You're not even doing the bourbon. This is sad. <laughs> and tune in in a few weeks and find out if you're a winner. <laughs> ah, the mystical refrain of name that 80s tune. 
Uh, we'll play a snippet <laughs> of a, a song from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for the postal friendly bottle opener, which we'll do shortly. And then uh, our friend Chuck gets to spin the wheel. <laughs> Interesting conversation during a Patreon Zoom happy hour. Someone was curious where, where we kept the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> It's a digital wheel. It's a digital wheel. Um, uh, anyway, uh, pay attention. Here was the uh, the last song clip. Help me, God. That's Laura Branigan, Solitaire. Brown was in a weird mood that week. Blue Thunder and Solitaire. Weird. So, what... winners. You want me to do the winners? <laughs> yeah, do some winners. So, winners include Kevin Serving Wench, The Tromboner, Richard the Big Bunny, Stroobs, Anastasia. I'm going to say Anastasia. Anastasia in Colorado. <laughs> totally cool 80s Tam in Austin on her second guess. Daryl Carver, Tanya from Cold Lake, Alberta, Canada. Lee from the hashtag San Francisco Bay Area 80s Cruisers. Michael Mike from Atlanta. Paul from Return to the 80s. Commander Bourbon. Dave De La Dirt. Lynn with three N's in Nebraska. Bernie the Dutch Oven from Sydney, Australia. James Freeman, Sean Fitzgerald, and Carol Jansen, who writes, The song from the recent mystery movie moment was written by one of my all-time favorite songwriters, Diane Warren as performed by another great talent, Laura Branigan on Branigan 2. Sadly, Laura Branigan died from a brain aneurysm at age 52. Any fan of classic pop music of the 80s, 90s, and zeros is a fan of Diane Warren, but they may not know it. Perhaps one of the most gifted and prolific songwriters of all time, Warren has been behind some of the most career-defining hits of acts like Aerosmith, Beyonce, Tony Braxton, Justin Bieber, DeBarge, Kelly Clarkson, Celine Dion, and many more. Even Millie Vanilli, blame it on the rain, which I love. I think we talked about that. <laughs> I before. know that's one of my time. that's one of my favorites. Uh, share if I could turn back time and bad English when I see you smile. Hundreds of songs. Carol Jansen. Ah, Carol. Always great to hear from her. Um. So didn't didn't you did you interview Diane Warren? No. Is she up to being interviewed? Um, she would be a know. great interview, right? I would need to. You know, the best time to get them is when they're, we've got a project to promote. So I have right. to see if she's got a memoir in the works or one that's out. or Right. If she's writing a book or something like that, and you can say, hey, you can come on our podcast and promote your book. And <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Yeah. No, no. In fact, in fact, I have like, I think two more book authors lined up to come on soon, actually. Probably in the next couple of weeks, we'll see. I'm trying to finish off their books before I interview them. I'm trying to, still trying to write mine. <laughs> Always good to do. <laughs> so tell us about your book that I haven't read. <laughs> I, I always, I always, out of courtesy, I always do read them. Oh yeah. So, but um, like Steve Manchester, he he. Oh yeah. His his um, oh, what the heck was it called? Lawn darts and uh, lemonade. Lawn darts and lemonade, and then yeah, brown, yeah. brown brown bags and bullies. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. There's a rumor I saw that he posted the other day 
that he might have a movie deal. What? For those books, and Eric Estrada is somehow attached to it. Huh. I know. Cool. That is cool. I have to reach out to him and see what that's all about. Once he, if, if he, once he can talk about that, he's free to talk about it. I'll get him back on the show and say, "Heck yeah!" Uh, anyway, let's spin the wheel and find out who's the winner. Oh, do I get to spin it? You get to spin it. Yeah. Here we go. One, two. Oh, very good. I'll throw my back out one of these days. That would be my luck. I'll throw my back out on the digital spinning <laughs> wheel. <laughs> How did you do that? You the sprain a finger hitting the mouse. Uh, looks like it's going to land on. Daryl Carver. Daryl Carver. Okay. Uh, anyway, email us your snail mail address, and we'll get Brad on the case when he gets back to Edda A. Uh, in the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it, email us at podcast at something or something.com, <laughs> whatever it is. And, uh, you know, things happen for a reason. Tune in Someone soon. will send you something. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Something in the mail that's postal oh, friendly. Oh, man. This, this uh, sugar-free Gatorade is making me giddy. I'm making uh, stickers. <laughs> we'll be right back after this commercial break. The wonders of the universe. The dangers of space. The challenge of the unknown. The courage of a warrior. The vengeance of a madman. Kill him. The seed of new life. The hand of death. The plan of a genius. The Wrath of Khan. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, rated PG. Now showing at a theater near you. And we're back. Oh my gosh. I I managed to collect myself for another couple of minutes. I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway, I can't wait to see this show. I guess we only have about another eight days to wait as as we record this. Who knows when you'll actually hear it. And uh, I think it might also be available on the app if you have the CW app. But it's going to be something else. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope, I hope he makes good on his uh, idea to do one about 1984 because I think that's going to be another gem. Should he should he year jump or should he do a deeper dive in '82 and hit the video games and the music? Uh, or... I don't know. That's a good question. I guess. You I know, guess we'll I, have to wait and find out. <laughs> find out. I follow him on every media, uh, all, all social media now. It's, it's great. So I will have my finger on the pulse when that happens. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget uh, July 8th, 19th, <laughs> greatest geek year ever. Brad will be back hopefully soon. But in the meantime, Chuck and myself remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuckinthe80spodcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. <laughs>